Welcome again to the next episode of the Art of Data Science, where we help to demystify the often confusing world of data, analytics, and the related areas of innovation. Over the past two years, COVID-19 has definitely disrupted our way of life. It's changed our economy, industries that we serve, and not to mention our personal lives. Pandemic has had a very far-reaching effort, effect even affecting the adoption of artificial intelligence. And today we want to focus the ways in which AI has changed and what's different about the impact now compared to the past years. I am Shrikar Krishna, KPMG's National Leader for Artificial Intelligence and Head of Data Engineering. Today I am very happy to have with me Dr. Ellen Kampana and Swami Chandrasekharan. Welcome to you both. Dr. Ellen Kampana, KPMG's Head of Enterprise AI, has contributed to AI systems for the International Space Station, Apple Siri, Oakley Eyewear, and, and a lot more to talk about. Swami, he has been the head of solution architecture at KPMG, uh, leads some of the largest and most strategic AI transformation client engagements. And prior to joining KPMG, he was IBM's distinguished engineer emeritus and chief technology officer for the Watson platform. He also holds 18 patents and has authored three books in the field of data science. Ellen and Swami, welcome back. Thanks, Shrikar. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks. So you've been both active in the AI and analytics space for a very long time. What would you say are the most notable changes in AI in the last year or two? Wow, a lot has changed in the last two years. Two areas I've seen key changes are strategy and implementation. Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, what Ellen said. And two other areas that come to my mind are metrics and, of course, the, the pandemic itself. Wow, these are all very interesting areas, uh, strategy, implementation, metrics, pandemic. I'm sure you both have a lot of things to say about each of these topics. Uh, Swami, why don't I start off with you? What, what do we need to know about strategy and AI? So in, in terms of strategy, I mean, if you look at the before and after before, uh, AI was just a bonus. It was nice to have. But today, AI is very integral to any company's profit structure. So let me give you or illustrate that with two quick examples. All of us are very used to online shopping, and we also return a lot of products, right? Some things we buy. So between online returns or we walk into a store to return or walk into another location to do returns, uh, it's got a lot of implications with respect to inventory, how what it means to reverse logistics, third-party logistics, um, then other things in terms of leakage and and uh, and what it could cause as impacts to companies' bottom line and profitability. So, but 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 us as consumers, we have expectations that returns should be seamless, and we should not be burdened with all those all those things. So, how can retailers Retailers cannot avoid returns, but how can they adopt or use AI to reduce this leakage or reduce the profitability due to returns? So they can look at uh, things like identifying problematic products from reviews. If the product reviews are stating issues with the product, why go through the hassle of selling it and then and having them being returned? Uh, so you can use AI to look at reviews and flag them. You can look at, uh, you, you can use AI again to recommend alternate products when a customer is trying to return a product so you can avoid those returns and offer the customer with uh, something else. Then other areas where AI could be applied are like optimizing return location. So you recommend, hey, could you can go return at this place at this hour and reduce uh, the time uh, and it will be useful. It'll be conducive not only for the consumer but also for the retailer. So on and on, you can use a lot of AI techniques to make the uh, 
the profitability, the core being how do I increase or, or, or reduce the leakage due to isotopes. Example number two is predicting risks from data. Um, I mean, this is not new. This has been done for ages, but the speed at which you need to predict risk and the type of data that you have to use has changed drastically. So how can, how can organizations start to uh, harness internal and external data, both structured and unstructured, and be able to use AI techniques to uncover risks? These could be supply chain shortages, could be health breakout, or it could be stores that are very susceptible to getting audited for non-compliance, or it could be problematic products that we talked about earlier that are being sold as counterfeit products on e-commerce. So these are all risks that you could that you could start to detect uh, using one or several AI techniques, but of course using data that is within and outside the company's walls. So again, like I said, AI is no longer nice to have, but it is a must in this day and age. That's great, Swami. Thanks for sharing those examples with us. Ellen, can you tell us more about the implementation and how the implementation of AI systems have changed in the last year or two? Certainly. I remember just a while ago, most of our engagements for data and analytics and AI were mostly driven by the IT departments. The IT leaders were coming to us looking for support to build out new technologies that they'd encountered. They wanted to wow the other people in their organization and and get people excited about the possibilities about IT. Um, for instance, there was a data group within a financial institution reaching out for help demonstrating business value for a data transformation they'd underca- undertaken. And they had made a lot of investment pulling the data in and storing it, but the business was not seeing a whole lot of value from that investment. And we were brought in to connect the dots. So we built out a dashboard that would allow the business owners to answer a few of the questions that they had. So in this case, the actionable insights piece was an afterthought because the whole initiative was driven by IT from the start. And what we found was that, unfortunately, many of the key questions that business leaders had could not be answered from the data as it was structured. It had to be re-envisioned. And this is happening less and less these days. That's very interesting, Ellen. Why, why do you think that is? Uh, what are businesses doing differently today compared to the past? Yeah, well, many business leaders have been through experiences like this where they they invested in storing data and then couldn't use the data. So that's been a disappointment on one hand. But then on the other hand, they've seen how powerful data and analytics and AI can be in other companies and in their own. Um, so they've seen both. They've seen the the power and the promise, and they've also seen the pitfalls. And the pitfalls are related to relying on just IT to provide insights. So um, what's happening now is a transition where business leaders, business leaders are much more hands-on. For instance, at that same financial institution, business leaders are now reaching out early in projects to identify key questions that can serve as requirements to the IT um, and they're also remaining involved in the process, pressing their IT departments to deliver on those requirements that they identify. Scaled agile delivery processes are getting more popular and effective in this area with product owners that understand what the business needs are and, um, and, and can negotiate with the implementers to ensure that needs are being addressed with the implementation. The benefit of this approach is that the systems are purpose-built to align with the business needs. And this goes hand-in-hand with changes to how the systems are actually measured. Swami, do you want to tell us more about the topic of metrics? I've been talking for a while. Yeah, absolutely. So metrics, 
I mean, all of us data scientists are used to very technology or technical metrics like recall, precision, uh, accuracy, open scores, and be whatnot. But right now, more of the metrics are moving towards being more business-oriented. What is the customer lifetime value? How, could, how do I quantify it? What is the net promoter score? What is the mean time to resolve incidents or MTTR? Self-serviceability rate by channel, cost of acquisition, cost of returning a product, that we talked about earlier, uh, reductions to carbon footprint, et cetera. So these are these are metrics that businesses are very used to, and uh, some of them get reported in, in the annual reports. If you take a contact center or a call center, for example, that handles customer interactions, if you talk, think about metrics right, that are relevant in that particular scenario, uh, let's say you have a conversational system or an AI system chatbot that is handling customer calls. The metrics that the businesses is more interested to understand how well the systems or the AI systems performing include number of calls handled, number of calls deflected, what is the authentication rate, what is the closure rate in terms of getting a closing or making the customer giving the customer the answer he or she is looking for, what is the capture rate, what is the cost of call, including um, and multiplying that by the number of calls you are deflecting, which kind of translates to the money you're saving. So, the metrics. As you, like the thing, the list of the examples I pointed out are more towards uh, or have a very business-oriented focus, and uh, businesses are trying to get to this level of detail and and trying to quantify all of them. Oh, that's that's great, Swami. Thank you for giving us those insights into how business metrics are starting to take uh, kind of like the front seat compared to just the technical metrics that we were focused on a few years back. Um, Ellen, you also mentioned something about how the pandemic itself has been a factor in these changes. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So in in the COVID-19 era, I think artificial intelligence roadmaps across the board have been really accelerated. Companies are also wanting to skip the experimentation and proof of concept phase and invest in stable, scalable solutions right away. But they also need them urgently, so they're putting pressure to get those scalable solutions right off the bat and and see that return on investment. To follow up on the example that that Swami gave, customer service is a big area where we're seeing a lot of change. Um, Across all industries, the pandemic has placed pressure on the businesses to rapidly change how they communicate with customers and employees, Um, who are now stuck at home, so they often don't have the same option of walking into the store. Um, And at the same time, call centers suffered staffing shortages on a global level, and they failed to rebound over the last year, year and a half. Um, And it's unclear at this point when or if they're going to recover. This is putting a lot of pressure. I did some work at a healthcare payer organization that and and was with them through this transition. But before the pandemic, they were interested in identifying opportunities for better coaching of contact center agents. And they had a research group that was testing chatbots for simple FAQs. Um, and and they were kind of separate. Um, now, as fast forward today, today they need to have an intelligent agent that's able to step in for the contact center agents. It's not a research project anymore um, because they're unable to hire the the contact center agents that they need. And customers are waiting on the line for an hour or more. And they see these chatbots as a as a possibility for deflecting these calls, for getting those customers the help they need right away. And so 
basically, because of the pandemic, they need the system more urgently and they can't wait for years of experimentation. And they're starting to realize that the investment needed for, for this type of system, the large scalable solution, is significantly more than it is for systems that that simply address the low-hanging fruit or paint a picture of what is possible. Um, but the staffing pressure they're under now justifies this larger larger type of investment. That's great, Ellen. It's very interesting to see how pandemic itself is becoming a part of this transformation process. How do you both see KPMG's strategy fitting into all of these changes? Uh, how can we help drive success to our clients, uh, you know, especially using AI? Yeah, well, at, at KPMG, we really understand the power of AI and the need for full-scale intelligent solutions. We can help our clients navigate these complexities. Um, and, I, and I feel like there's not many organizations out there that can help large customers avoid some of the common pitfalls they're likely to encounter. And I would say that for most of our clients, there's now an awareness that incorporating AI today is a marathon, not a sprint. And to Swami's point earlier, they have that multi-year perspective. They really want that scalable solution that's, that's going to be the real solution. So in this context, success is really taking concrete steps on that journey that will lead to those business outcomes. That, are, that they really need to see. And for some, it's an infrastructure change. For others, it's an organizational change. And for still others, it's a, it's a full-blown transformation. So right now, success is really getting started. Yeah, piggybacking on what Ellen said, uh, it's, about, it's about having the right mindset. So having a product mindset is, is something I would recommend. Grooming and designing features that will make a difference the capabilities that customers already offer and demonstrating how it would increase or provide a greater value for our clients. So wherever appropriate, of course, right? And that's going to be key. So having a product mindset, thinking value, thinking features we would deliver that'll that'll be different is, is going to be the right approach. And also picking and embedding the right set of technology to solve the problems and not the other way around, which is... Uh, picking a technology and then trying to find a find a use case for it. So that would be my my recommendation for how we drive success for our clients using AI. Thank you, both of you. These are really great takeaways. I really appreciate you being here and help us how AI has transformed our lives in the last couple of years. And I really appreciate all of your insights too. Thanks for having us. Thank you. For those of you listening in, that wraps up another episode of Art of Data Science. We hope you join us again. And as always, if you have questions or topics you would like us to explore on this podcast, please email them to artofdatascience at kpmg.com. Thank you very much.